We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halume. This is Lore Keepers, the boundless venture, the world-renowned podcasting opus wherein the richest tapestry of lore in human history, which is a weird thing to say if you think about it, because it's like, this isn't really human history, though. But we are weaving the richest tapestry of lore in human history. R.R. Martin, eat your heart out. Tolkien, get fucked. Uh, I don't know, C.S. Lewis, something, something, something. Um, probably Brandon Sanderson more so. Or, you know what? Honestly, probably like... If you want to talk about richness of of tapestries, the people who make lore, uh, wow, you have to produce so much fucking lore for World of Warcraft. Like, how many fucking okay, Blizzard to, eat my ass? How about that? If you were to do a complete a completionist approach to WoW, if it was even possible, let's say you freeze time and are able to just do all of the quests, get all of the item, or maybe not purchase all items but have like you know maxed out stats of every level but also you have to do that for every race and class how long do you think that would take i mean there have been people who have been they're they're, they're literally the maximal extent of of for this is a game that people have been playing for 20 years or whatever and need more content to play I mean, how long do you, I, I that's got to be it's got to be literal years of playtime to get to that point. Anyways, yeah, uh, they can get fucked, too, because we're better, <clears throat> um, which, uh, yeah. And all of that is being sung into being before your very ear holes uh, by me, Frank. I'm Carter. <laughs> and whether you melt, jo- melt jewelry and volcanoes. Uh, burn steel the worship the carrion throne or create on your gray warden to kickflip sit a while by our fire a weary wanderer and let us weave you a tale topical too I actually uh, finished the last of the career mode in THPS 1 plus 2 yesterday excuse me god that game rules do you uh, do you know that one no THPS Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1, 1 and 2 they like did a re-release so sort of a rebuild of the first two Tony Hawks. Oh, I see. I've it's so good, dude. It's so good. Um, it's like every I don't know if you played those growing up, but like it's everything. It's it's not those games remade because they add a bunch of stuff that those games never had. But not in a way it's all the good stuff and none of the bad. Like, for instance, you you can have like double and triple kick flips. You have manuals to reverts to all that stuff so you can chain all of your tricks together. But it doesn't have like getting off the board and there's still like a two minute timer and shit. It rules. It's its own thing. And it's like what what it is, is it's what it felt like to originally play those games. But feeling it now. Both. I think my older brother. It's good shit. Yeah, good shit. And anyways, um, we're going to I think we're going to jump right into it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this week, um, we're going to be, uh, we're finally doing it y'all. Um, we've, we've, we've talked about them in passing so many times, but, uh, finally we are going to get right to it. Um, so this week we are going to be talking about the homesteaders, the ones who get their, uh, their weird bubble of dry land, uh, at the bottom of the, of the ocean on plateaus near P- Potisati. And, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. So like maybe we do a quick recap on just kind of like what it is we're talking about here uh, get to catch up to the extents of what we've mentioned about it before and then go from there. Yep. So in the beginning, <clears throat> the God made the world. Which one? Uh, the one with the big hat. What's his name? No, which uh, world? Uh, Sadar. And I suppose the whole universe, but Sadar is the one we're looking at. So you're going, we're going way back here. So the beginning. The beginning of oh what? Oh God. The begin. I just meant like, how, how much have we even established about the home studies up to this point? I mean, basically, they were... I think we we talked about them as refugees that they were trying to escape from somewhere. And I don't know why specifically they got their land on the bottom of the ocean. Like, I think we'll figure that out. And when I say bottom of the ocean, I don't think it's that deep. I'm thinking there's sort of like a shelf or something that's maybe yeah. like a thousand feet down or something or maybe less less than that. So it's not entirely night. What's the light layer in the ocean? I think that no light can pass through. I want to say it's about 700 feet. So maybe there's like a shallow sandy area or something. We could say it's, a, you know, what we could say it's a shell from a previous lava flow that like poured down into the uh, in, into the ocean and flattened out and then created this sort of like thick layer, you know, maybe filled up like a, uh, a like a scoop in uh, in in part of the ascending of the of the mountain of, you know, that creates the island of of, of Tinsetung. All right, so I, um, and then that got like flattened out, and that's where they—that's where they are. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I've got ocean facts here. All right, ocean facts. Hell yeah! So down to two hundred meters, we have uh, the the end of the sunlight zone, also known as the epipelagic zone. Mm-hmm. And then down a thousand meters, we have the end of the mesopelagic zone or the twilight zone. Okay. And then beneath that, between 1,000 and 4,000 meters, is the bathypelagic zone or the midnight zone. I mean, what it could be is there could be like an artificial sun that, uh, that brightens and darkens too, um, you know, and like provides daylight for, for this, this bulb, which, okay, yeah, well, let's, let's get back to it because um, we, I, I never really even finished <laughs> establishing. Uh, uh, the homesteader is, are these folks who, yeah, they were refugees. Um, they needed to be able to carve out space of their own. And Padasari granted it to them. Or maybe, oh, you know, it was that Ostevix who was uh, a treasure hunter of sorts. They saw that these refugees needed a place to live and gifted them, sort of like secretly left them with this um golden hour artifact that uh was able to create like a bubble of like a pocket of air underneath the uh, underneath the water and can do it at a, at a tremendous scale like the size of a small town 
And so like gave it to them. Then they basically fucked off on their own and like descended into the water. No, all, all Moses style, you know, parting the sea and set up shop somewhere. I always imagined it was bright enough, though, that like. You like on a sunny day, like you can see maybe this is really clear water or something, but that there's like a shelf that extends for a long distance all around them. Maybe that's not what it is, but I always thought that that would be kind of like, uh, you know, definitely I was trying to evoke sort of Wild West vibes with it. Yeah. Like, I mean, how deep do we think this shelf is? I don't think it's that deep. I mean, honestly, there are oceanic shelves that uh, can be only a couple hundred feet below the water. They're basically like super sandbars. Yeah, I mean, we have 600 feet to work with in in the sunlight zone. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I mean, also, maybe what it is, is uh, it's definitely dimmer light down there, but like not total darkness. And it's bright enough that people can work with it. Um, You know, like their maybe their eyes adjust or something. Maybe they all have dark vision. Yeah, maybe it's not like maybe there's not a lot of humans and it's more elves or half orcs or dwarves. Sure. Maybe. Were you thinking like Duragar? Well, I mean, just regular dwarves. Have oh, right. Yeah. Regular. You're, no, you're right. Regular, regular dwarf. Vision. Regular dwarf. Regular dwarf. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, where do you, where do you want to start with this? We could talk about kind of like how they came to be. Uh, what is their life look like? Is what's this homestead look like? Um, I don't know. There's a lot of places we could go with this. So I think let's kind of just talk about what it's what it's like now or, you know, at the height of its of the homesteading, what it's like, you know, what's the relationship between the homesteads and Parasari? What's the relationship between the homesteads and the Untersea people? Mm -hmm. And then we maybe then can get into the the um, origin of the technology and Aussie. So what I'm imagining is that it is. I imagine that they eventually get to a point where they're able to reverse engineer some of this, uh, uh, some of this technology. And this is where the homesteading actually comes from is they can. They can create small bubbles of their own that are like ranches farther away from town, like the town or, or like the town has the largest one. But I'm kind of imagining like a bubble large enough that it's around about an acre. And then uh, and so you put you put a house in that in that space and it's maybe kind of far out. And then you and then your farm itself is maybe something that is actually like. You're you're, you know, you have a fish farm or you have uh, like a seaweed farm or some something that like naturally grows underground and you cultivate it by like. As you go out for work that day, you like put on, you know, uh, like swimming apparatus um, and, you know, some sort of either hoses that like hook back into the space, which I guess we would have to like recycle air or something um, either magically or, you know, sort of. You know, arcano mechanically. Um, Are you talking about the, um, the bubble? Yeah, these like homestead bubbles. I think the homestead bubbles get their oxygen from the water. I think it, it diffuses. Oh, they like sure. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea. Like it's able to sort of um, uh, decouple the hydrogen from the oxygen. 
Well, I wasn't going to say that. I was there's just oxygen in, like not as an H two O, but like in there's there's gas in gaseous form, just in the liquid. There is. What do you think fish? Are you sure do? about that? Yeah. What do you think fish fish need oxygen? Yeah, aren't they aren't they literally like breaking no. down the molecular? I mean, they just be like no? huffing a bunch of hydrogen gas. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Never mind, because that would that would mean that they were then releasing like hydrogen H two, which is like uh, an extremely destable. Like if you've seen The Martian, you know what I'm thinking of, like hydrazine type shit. Well, it's just very explosive. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm like saying. This oxygen. is like very yep. So never mind, not that. <laughs> Yeah, this is why. Yeah, you know okay, yeah, yeah. Like, so, um, little fountains in, like, fish tanks and aquariums. Oh, is that literally just so that the fish the have air in their water? Yeah. Oh, because otherwise they suffocate. Yep. That makes sense. I didn't realize that. How do fish bowls work then? Like goldfish? They, well, they just die. What? 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 No, can you can't like? You would need to have how some do you, sort of that. Fish bowls are terribly cruel. Are, is this like a thing that I didn't know about? I mean, yeah, I guess I just thought you need you need it to be. Oh, my God. Wait, so like no fish bowl is ever actually. What about OK, how many Dorothy's do you think there have been on Elmo's world? What? Do you know Elmo's world Sesame Street? Wow. This is a way as a pullback to my childhood. This is, this is a throwback. Yeah, How that's many a throwback. Elmo has his own like super liminal uh, apartment space um, and has a, a little pet goldfish named Dorothy. Uh, and she's in a. Is it an a, actual fish? fish? Yeah. All right. And the bowl's not oxygenated, man. New Dorothy for each week. Maybe. Every every episode of uh, of Sesame Street. There's a there's a, a an itemized line on the on the <laughs> on the list of. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be terrible. Um, I mean, they can live fuck. a fair a fair long while, especially if it's a small goldfish. And and fish tend to limit their growth compared to their container. Up to mm-hmm. a point, of course. If you don't have, if you have an infinite size container, you don't get an infinitely large fish. That's not how that works. Yeah, no, that is not how that works. Um, okay, okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, don't get a fishbowl. So then, how does oxygen normally get into water? I mean, there's the water cycle, but also you know waves and just just without being tossed, there's gas exchange. It's just less. Oh, huh. Yeah, the reason why you have fountains is because... Well, what about lakes, flat. though? Lakes are, can be really flat and still and still have fish in them. Yeah, as I, as I said, there is gas exchange even with still. It's just less. Oh, but you know what? Yeah, uh, and, and also lakes are fed by rivers. Oh, also, So also their water is actually coming from... Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. <clears throat> um, okay, anyway, so these... Yeah, so... But but to me, what I was always imagining was is like we get to a point where it's it starts out maybe as a small settlement, but then people uh, and like people sort of have like spokes on a wheel kind of approach to like having farms around the edges of this, which, you know, I, I don't think is that normal for a small town like you might have farmers on the edge, but typically the value of farms or the value of small towns in sort of like a medieval um, sort of structure is 
uh, specialized work. You know, like the farmers might need a blacksmith or they might need a person uh, who's running like a, a shop or something, a place for them to take their goods and to buy and sell those goods. You might have traders come through. You, you know, that's where, you know, people either rest or there's, you know, uh, you, know you can have, you know, all, all the different, a lot of tool making. But I think I think that at the, the Homestarters at the start, that is sort of what it looks like is all of it is there because they can't really you know, just travel further down the road to set up a, a shop and, and have a farm or whatever because they haven't reverse engineered the artifact at that point. Um, question, do you think that it's that they re reverse engineer it and maybe Ostevix helps them or something? Or do you think it's that they rely on delving or, or, or like getting versions of this artifact? Like maybe they're, they're like much minor versions of them, much more minor versions of them are more proliferate. And they're trying to amass as many of them as possible, because anytime that somebody wants to start a new homestead or like a new uh, home, uh, they they have to go and get another one. I think that. Both, I think that they are they eventually figure out how to do it. And it's very expensive and it's very difficult, but, you know, requires all this precious metals and all this different enchantments. Yeah, question. Maybe what if I mean, we haven't really looked too much at the history of how the treasure hunting kind of came to be. It's definitely something we know happened after the I, uh, the Anno occupation, yes. right? Like that wasn't really a thing. So it's like fair. It's fairly recent. Yeah. And it sounds like then the homesteaders are fairly recent yes. as well. What if they were the catalyst that started the treasure hunting? Ostevix was doing some sort of of their own adventure where they were a treasure hunter, but they were more sort of in a passive way that Indiana Jones is, you know, where they're like trying to recover things maybe on contract or something, or like maybe they got hired by a wizard or something. You know, this isn't like a this isn't a normal, you know, this isn't them being contracted by one of these trawling ships. Um, this is back in the day before any of this was really active. They go down, have sort of a uh 200 page novelized adventure open and shut and then it ends with them you know having this artifact that they decide really belongs to these homesteaders or these refugees and leave it with them and then we jump forward you know i'm almost imagining this is like if this was a book series we jump forward another you know uh 20 years or so and the homesteading has really picked up in a way where <clears throat> they're actually fueling the dives for people to get more of these artifacts, you know, sort of uh, Ostevix. This isn't what they anticipated is sort of almost like there's this greed attached or maybe not greed, but like consumption need need for more yeah. um, because, hey, we want to to grow our space here and travel like further out. And so then that's actually what kind of kicks off the treasure hunting, because as they're down there, they don't necessarily find many more of these artifacts, but they find a lot of other stuff. Uh, too and and then that's what starts to like kind of catalyze hey there's really an industry to be had here magicians from all over are finding valuable things and you know the shore barons and you know people of wealth who can afford to do shit like this to recover artifacts uh, yeah i think i think that's the, i think that's the case leading to a rise in like seaweed burritos cerritos there you go i think a cerrito might be a thing though i don't know what that is 
Is it another Dutch thing or are we allowed to I say that? No, no, I don't think it's another Dutch thing. Uh, <laughs> Carter is referring to a Dutch angle. If you're curious, check out the pre post amble. Maybe we just call it the amble. Um, uh, Pramble. Also, hey, hey, side note, I think we need to stop calling them one and ones. What if we call them like lore bits? Lore bits. One and one is ridiculous, and lore bits maybe makes more sense because they're kind of little like little bite sized snacks. Yeah, of, it feels like lore, lore bits is something that Elmo might have, might talk to Dorothy about. <laughs> yeah exactly um elmo elmo the uh the the storied lore lore uh world builder i mean he's got a super limited don't space. ask elmo don't ask elmo about his 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 most recent D D campaign it's uh it goes to some really dark places that that, that guy's got a fucked mind it's all child actors no that's not true what? No, like the people who play the Muppets are all children? Yeah. yeah. I was talking about Elmo themselves. Dude, I was seeing a clip. Uh, uh, I know we're getting off track a little bit here, but I was just going to say, I saw a clip earlier today. On Twitter, somebody was posting. Uh, who's the guy from The Sopranos who plays t- uh, Tony Soprano? I'll look him up. You know who I'm talking about, though. Tony Soprano. He, he was he was on Sesame Street. Really? Uh, yeah, he was talking to Zoe about the three things that scare him, and it was like uh, the dark, loud dogs, and I think talking vegetables James or something. Gandolfini. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was him. He was on. He was on. Uh, <laughs> he was on Sesame Street, <laughs> which is just like. What? Like, uh, you know, who is who is this for? What What is this for? He played himself. Um, yeah, he was on Sesame Street. Episode number 33. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Episode 33 of Sesame Street? Yep. Of, like, rebuilt or something? Like, what? 2002 when? Sesame Street. He played himself on episode 33. I don't understand how that's the 33rd episode of Sesame Street. Do they have seasons or series or something? How does that even work? I don't know. I don't know. We got to figure out shit about the the we we only have like another 10 minutes uh, to to figure out shit about these homesteaders. I feel like we've gone nowhere here. (laughs) All right. Okay. so anyways, yeah, I think that they launched the uh, I think that they kind of launched the treasure hunting, though. But like, yeah, um, I think we probably move on from there and talk about other stuff with them. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, in general, they're very like close-knit farming communities some of them are small bubbles that are just like a couple houses and like a barn some of them are bigger Mm -hmm. and are like you know a a cluster of houses you know anywhere to up to like 20 homes all in this one bubble Mm, little bullet point idea here yeah they have some sort of tradition or agreement that like the bubbles are not owned by the, like the artifacts that make the bubbles are not owned by the by people. They're granted to people from the community, like the community as a whole owns them. Um, whenever any new one is is received, it's given to whoever is like next on the list, regardless of like they don't actually know how powerful, how how, how large of the space it's going to be until after like it's been placed. And so Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you get unlucky, you know, and like, I don't think that any 
maybe we say that no bubble is smaller than about 15 or 20 feet, but it might con- seriously constrain the size of like how big your house can be and stuff. You know, you might have like a very, very modest, small house and get on, un- you know, you get unfortunate and then. I don't know, maybe the you know community has ways of working around that, but I kind of like the idea of there being this tradition where it's like it's not owned by anybody and you just get whatever is the next one and hope that you get lucky. It's managed by the HOA. Yeah, basically. And I think I think that, that none of them are so small that you couldn't build a house in it. Yeah. It's just it might be it might be an acre for some people and it might be significantly less for others. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, so we have these farms. People clearly need to travel between them, so there's got to be some sort of mode of transportation from the edge of a bubble. So I'm actually imagining that there's, like, a lot of any sort of trade or or whatever, there would need to be some sort of transfer from one type of vehicle to another on the edge of the bubble, unless they had something that could traverse both. Hmm... Which would actually be kind of cool. I mean, you you sort of have spokes again, like on the edges of you know the main hub of 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 the town, and at at those locations, yeah, some kind of station where there's somebody who will help you load and unload your shit um, into a wagon um, to bring it into into town proper. Maybe they have like big. Um tropical walruses that are like very fast on land but also fast on the water in the water i mean yeah we could create uh, we could create a creature or you know use a creature that's large enough that it could be a mount um and then also uh but like how do you bring in your goods i mean even a very you know powerful creature might be too settled down with all of the equipment especially because water creatures are typically very heavy um you know I kind of like the I mean, I think I think it's a both situation as well. Like, I think that both can exist. Uh, And it's just that the larger your load is, um, you might just have to switch vehicles uh, at these like sort of stables, uh, if you want to call them that walrus stables at the edge of town uh, to bring your goods in the rest of the way. Yeah, instead of a mustache, maybe the walruses have like goatees. That would actually be kind of fun. Okay, switch tracks for a second. How let's talk about the relationship that they have with other peoples. Uh the Parasarians and also the Merfolk. One like do you which one do you want to start with actually? Let's start with Parasar. What do you think their relationship is? I think it's a pretty positive one because I think Parasari relies on them for a lot of their like food supply. I think with the explosion of growth mm. that Parasari has had in even Quintus yeah pentis it's pentis now yeah fuck yes it is it's been pentis for over a year (laughs) i think so i think also we we at at one point uh discussed that they potentially were a source of like grain for paras uh parasati like yeah i i like like their fields maybe maybe some of the bubbles are actually used to grow actual ass plants which i kind of like but but the Parasarians didn't initially grant them a place to stay on the island. I mean, I think we have to say that's probably the reason why they went underwater, because otherwise, why wouldn't they just have gone to somewhere else on the island that wasn't Parasari proper? So I think maybe the relationship changed over time. Like, it wasn't 
Like, what if they were, what if it was like an honorless kind of situation where they weren't honorless, um, which if you're not sure what we mean by that, uh, just check the podcast description. There will be a reference. Um, basically, it's people who kind of had their their presence within the society of the elves taken away from them. Um, so like these would be like elves. I mean, what if it was, it, it could potentially be honorless who, because I mean, what else are they finding refuge from? Uh, it doesn't have to be Iulia, by the way. I, I don't think it needs to be. It could be all sorts of different disasters or, you know, like a dragon occupying or something. There's, if anything, I actually kind of want to stretch out and make it so it's not Iulia, just because I feel like more stuff has happened to Potisati than just that. Yeah. But whatever it is, what if there was a reason why, like, the Potisadians didn't trust him and say, like, like you're just too, you're too many people. Like, we can't feed you all. You'll have to move on. Hmm. We've got our we've got our own stuff to deal with. I have an idea. So I think that maybe during this time there has been like a lot of wars breaking out between the shore barons. Hmm. And we're seeing like refugees like paying smugglers to try and take them out of this like terrible war zone. And they've been traveling a very long distance. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe they've had to travel this far out because they uh, because they've already they've already gone to other islands and they've already burned their goodwill with those islands. Like the people there, like we don't want any more of you, and they keep on getting shunted and pushed off, and so they have to travel further and further out. Yeah. Um, and so there's these different like you know strands occasionally that have been able to you know, find places to, to find refuge. But yeah, I, I kind of like that idea. Like, yes. Okay. Big transition of power, um, where one of the shore barons has a big takeover, um, and is able to conquer like two or three others with the aid of, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a couple of other shore barons. Um, and as a result, those people get ousted and are, are you know they're they're being told by the the shore barons like yeah either they're being like just murdered yeah. or they're just saying like you can't live here anymore um this is our land now and so yeah and so they're being forced you know some of them travel elsewhere into um the umdara supercontinent you know further to the north into the west and out you know out beyond the edge of i guess the shore or whatever's out over there maybe there's like a mountain range on the other side that something but then, you know, others are traveling east because it's like, well, you know, there's already this all this trade that exists with the Marian Ocean. Like, you know, maybe there's a place for us to live out here. I kind of like that idea. Also, because the peoples of the shore, I think, have a lot of animal characteristics. Like we have like Loxodons and Tabaxi and stuff um, who, who live there. And so they would be peoples that... I, it could be very easy for the Potisadians to judge them and be like, you're so different from us. Like, we can't, um, we can't accommodate you. Like, what are you even doing out on the ocean? Well, I mean, you it know? could be that it's not, because we typically cast the Potisadians as, like, very welcoming. So maybe it's just like, look. That's true. So maybe, That's maybe true. it's just like there's so many of you. Yeah, if we said yes to some of you, we would have to say no to others, and we can't. Uh, which is, like, uh, a very libertarian approach to that of like, oh, well, I would like to do the the right thing, but uh, uh, oh, it's a it's a moral quandary. Oh, yes. Oh, you know, oh, shoot. Uh, but, I, I have to make the hard decision because if I said yes to some of you, 
And I, like, like there is not a way of solving for that, but I could totally see that as being a way of, of a convenient solution to, because I don't think the people are bad, but I think that they are looking for like a kind of a way out of situations like that. Yeah. And I think that, I think there is a genuine kind of disagreement in Parasari over like, you know, mm-hmm. like we must welcome them because that's like what we do. We're welcoming. It's, we have to let people in. Oh, you are. Okay. Actually, you make a really good point. And there. that, and that there's some people that are like, but we just can't let this many people in. Like this would just like totally destroy Shit. what's going on. And then there's this solution that comes up. What if we help them make a new home? And it's like that we can do that. Yes. Okay. I like that better. Cause initially I had imagined that, um, Ostevic's, was sneaking the artifact to them. I much more like the idea because because I, I totally forgot and you very much reminded me. Oh, holy shit. Right. Like the whole attitude of Parasari, I had completely forgotten this, is about like empathy and charity and about like making guests like be at home. But that and, and so I think maybe what happens is initially they actually do take everyone in everyone like all of these people because because Padasari is known to be this place where people are, are taken in and it becomes a burden on the on, on the on on the structure of it um and there's probably a turning point i'm not gonna say that it, it like doesn't work out or whatever because i think that that's a uh a rhetoric that the the idea of taking these people in and that not being something that's good for the economy is a rhetoric that I don't think actually makes sense and is very capitalist in, well, a, in, a, in, in a way that's like self-destructive. I, I think the big <clears throat> thing is that it's just taking them all in at the same time immediately. At once, yes. It's just like it overburdens yes. things instantly. Yes. If it was at a drip feed, it would have been fine. Yes. But what I was saying, uh, where I was going with that was I think um, there is some sort of double think that goes around where uh, people are facing the stress and they're not sure they're looking for a solution. and there's a building tension that comes as some voices start to suggest that maybe it's not our job to take care of them, or maybe there's a different, like, uh, oh, uh, like, you know, this is beyond like what is of our traditions. This isn't what, you know, was meant by our, you know, sort of the founders and stuff. This isn't uh, Oh, what's her name? The, uh, the, the mer, the merfolk, the mermaid. Oh, Mizami. Mizami yeah, Mizami. This isn't what Mizami would have wanted. Was for us to 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 hurt ourselves when in in actuality, I think it probably was. Yeah. Um, because Mizami is like not a perfect figure. And like, and and you know what? We you have sightings of tidelings on both sides. Um, because the tidelings are basically just the manifestations of the stories that the people tell, right? So there's some who are like, you know, start to suggest things about anyway. So it's 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 kind of like a powder keg. And it's like ready to blow and it could get really bad. And, you know, page 180 of 220, you know, Ostevix has this idea of like, wait, you know, and and they actually. The artifact. mm, okay, they were initially contracted to pick up this artifact, maybe by a dragon or a magician or something and return it to them. But they decide it's better off left with these people. Right. And so they diffuse uh, all of this, all of this uh, tension. And like, you know, on the edge of like, people are going to get hurt from this. Uh, they diffuse it and then they take the burden of like having to deal with like upsetting a dragon or whatever on their shoulders. 
Which I actually, I think I like the idea of it being a dragon, like a dragon on some sort of roost somewhere on a, some island, like Dragon Roost Island. Do, 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 but how, how late do we want do, this to be? Dragons aren't really around anymore. Um, that's true. That's true. Is this something that happens before or after the Anno occupation? It's after. For sure. Okay. Yeah, good question. Um, I think the Anno occupation was in like late Tertius or like early Quartus. So thing here, um, potentially we could have, we could build in some retcon lore. If, if we do want dragons to show up first of all i don't think that dragons are like specifically extinct i think that they were far more prevalent in previous ages avums and in pentis it's like there's now only a handful left that, that was always what i was more what i was trying to go for okay. with the idea of like there are no more dragons is they're basically unheard of and the ones that do exist are like cloud giant level of secluded but i it could also be a different thing which is that there are no dragons in Everest or on Undara, like maybe there's some sort of magical spell that is preventing them from being able to like interact with that entire scope of the world. And they are present elsewhere, but like basically unknown. And they're, they're told about as stories like from far off lands, but they're not something that exists in Everest. Maybe. I mean, we could do that. Honestly, I'm not really sure where I land on that one. I feel like that's, you know, something for a different episode, but yeah, I think, Whoever it is, I think that that's kind of how these homesteaders come to be. Okay. Yeah. So I think that there is a good relationship with them in Pontesari. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, this diffuses the tension. There's probably some who are more selfish or, you know, who don't appreciate the uh, the, the, the cultural traditions of Pontesari, the sort of the you know, taking taking their gerbs kind of kind of people. Yeah. A small contingent um, who are very unhappy about what Ostfix does here and wants to get revenge. Um, but I think here's the book two thought is whoever the magician is or whatever, they're not very happy about the uh, the fact that they didn't get their uh uh you know their artifact and they go, fine, I'll go get it myself. And they get down off their throne fucking put on the infinity gauntlet oh shit here they come you know post credit scene right like i think that that's i am curious and maybe that's my lore bit which by the way uh we decided um we're not calling them one and ones anymore that's ridiculous it's been like three or four years that's not even a name that's nothing um so we're gonna call them lore bits uh, i think that's my lore bit is that there is definitely something worth exploring is like what happens when this magician comes to call and it's like hey that artifact i want it back all right i feel like there's something really fun to be had there i think my lore bit is train there's a train maybe there's a train in uh in the homestead i think that there is like a big um, cultural cultural food revolution with the homesteaders as they like start 
exporting a bunch of like seaweed and what else and then like dude fishes it's a mix of old and new home cuisine yeah there's probably some fish that you can't normally get access to but also all of the things that they would make as part of their dishes they start to actually like through trade or whatever they make requests back to their homeland to see if somebody can get that for them and then they use that as seed to plant for like crops that they know how to grow and shit yep dude i like it i like it oh that's gonna be fun cuisine big really big food capital of the world i like that uh, hey, I did have one other lore bit. Okay, what the fuck? Um, we don't call it one and re- one, and then suddenly you have two. Well, it's not called one and one anymore. It's called lore bits. <laughs> okay, the train actually kind of inspired me. Fuck off. I think we jump forward a few hundred years, and uh, there are several more small towns, and they're all connected via some sort of like transportation that goes to the edge of each town, and it's like a it's like a train in its purpose but maybe it's like i don't know either either some sort of fish or <laughs> something or it's something artificial like like literally like laying down some sort of you know track or something i don't know but i think that that could be really maybe they fun. do lobster trains that could be really fun it's like it's like a train of lobsters not like a train train but like a line of lobsters and they like they like do the classic like stick with like I don't know krill on the end. Oh. <laughs> and they just like <laughs> a little a little a little sack of krill yeah. that the like the lobsters can smell and you just hold it in front of them and they like are running towards it. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like giant giant lobsters. Ridiculous. And they're the pretty okay. ones, the ones that are like blue and they have different. Mm. They're like half mm-hmm. chromatic and stuff. This. Yeah, the sexy lobsters. We all know, Carter. We all know how you feel about lobsters. And I'm not going to shame you. You, you know, you're a Shelly. I, I totally get it. Do you think that exists? That's got to exist, gotta, right? Someone's got to want to get fucking fisted by a pistol shrimp. <laughs> you talking about the ones that fire air through their claw to, like, create a gunshot yeah. level of, like... Yeah. As a pistol shrimp. I think we need to end the podcast there. I don't think we're... On that note... Thanks for letting us be your escape. If you forgot your worries and you want to make others forgetful, we're in every podcasting service known to all. So don't be greedy. Share us with your friends. Did we discuss something that was confusing as hell? Uh, of course we did. Um, but chances are that there is some podcast. Uh, there's some podcasts in the context description. There's some context in the podcast description. So go there. You can also explore the subreddit or reach us at the Lorekeepers on Twitter or email us at lorekeeperspodcast at gmail.com for questions or things you'd like to hear in future episodes. Thanks to Josh Silker for his composition of Land of Heroes, the Lorekeepers theme. Also, thank you to Sam Wade for her Beautiful rendition of our new album art. Still new, still nice. And uh, I'm sure she has an Instagram that Frank will tell you about. <laughs> yeah, she can find her uh, you find her work at by Sam Wade on Instagram. Uh, yeah, that album art's going to be new for the next year, man. I fucking love it. It's so good. I'm, dude, I decided uh, once I get 
fully vaccinated, I'm going to get a tattoo. There's there's two big things that I'm I'm very Holy excited shit. for. One is I'm going to get a haircut. Whoa. And I'm going to get a tattoo. Two things that I did not feel safe or comfortable doing uh, during the pandemic. Um, once I am is it a completely combo? vaccinated, are you gonna like shave your head and then? Like, <laughs> <get it? laughs> uh, uh, thankfully, and no. Um, but what I'm gonna get is I'm going to get a tattoo of uh, of the Lorekeeper's art. Um, I think maybe on my thigh. Ooh, inner thigh. Yeah. Mm, probably okay. not. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. I'm not sure where to put tattoos. I'm terrible at that. Um, Directly over your. A noose. It's like around it. And then the center is. <laughs> it sounds so unpleasant. It sounds to, terribly uh... painful. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, until next time, don't forget there are always more um, anuses to tattoo. Pistols to shrimp. Uh, shrimps, to, shrimps to get fisted by. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Very good. Yeah. Also, um, maybe I should have led with this, but uh, I got I got my first vaccine shot uh, nice. on, on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. And Rachel got hers on Saturday. Joining the halfbacks club. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have you seen that like uh, meme going around? I haven't. No, I'm this is not working. Unfortunate. Basically what it was, uh, well, I'll leave, I'll leave Discord open because it kind of needs to be. Um, basically, it was, it was <laughs> me, uh, me, me and the boys uh, uh, walking around half vaccine be like, and then uh, the picture was of Sid's toys from Toy Story. Uh, <laughs> like, like the weird arts and stuff. <laughs> it's like, that's pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. That's good. Really worth that, you know, two minutes that it took me to try and find the source and everything. Do you do you know what your time frame might look like for getting your uh, for your for your, sh- your shots for my next shot? Yeah. Yeah, I have an appointment. Wait, your next shot? You got a first shot already? Yeah, I got my first shot. Weeks Dude. Ago. Oh, I my God. You. Did you? Yeah. You know, what? Yeah, I think you, I remember this. I do remember this. Yeah. Oh, that's great, dude. I'm glad. As an educator in South Carolina, it was opened up for me the same time it opened up for like 55 and up. Well, that's fantastic, dude. I, um, yeah, I think I get my second one in like on like April 7th, maybe. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're really blowing the doors wide open now at this point because, uh, uh, you know, Biden is trying to get 200 million doses administered by, I think it's April 15th is the hundred hundredth day in office. Um, yeah. which is like crazy. That's uh, especially considering their original goal was 100 million doses, which they completed on day 58. So, yeah, that's. Yep, April 7th, 1120. I'm getting my vaccine. Nice, dude. And then two weeks afterwards, you can come fly to us. <laughs> hey, is that still happening? Wasn't uh, that going to be a thing? It, I, w- I was going to um, apply to a certain um, conference up there at um, at University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, but uh, mm-hmm. 
The deadline passed, and I didn't get my paper in ship shape, so I, I didn't apply. Carter, no. I, I there will be oh, there really will be more conferences at Michigan, so don't worry about that. You got me all excited about the the the, the possibility that you would be up here. When was that supposed to happen? Has that already happened, or? Uh, I think it was supposed to be this summer. Okay. I mean, dude, I'm kind of playing with the idea of like, what if I flew down to Florida just for like a weekend or something just to hang out in person? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Could be fun. I mean, I don't live in Florida currently, but no, but I mean, would you? Oh, do you? So do you? I yeah, will be going say, back during the summer. The summer. Well, then that's why I would fly down to Florida during the summer. Okay, that's what I'm parents, saying. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm gonna meet okay, my mom. Yeah. She's listening to the podcast. Does she, wait? She does. She's listened to it. I don't know. If she's. A, I don't think okay, she. I was to like, it. oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know how I feel about <laughs> parents listening to this podcast. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my parents haven't. Um, uh, maybe they've listened to one. I don't know, but uh, I kind of hope they haven't. My mother's definitely shit. listened to the first one, the new okay. first one, not the old first. One. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh, boy. Um. No, nah, I mean, you can fly up here then. Yeah. Rachel and I will be vaccine, uh, vaccinated by uh, like late April. Um, as in like we'll have had our second shot and then two weeks. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, I think that's a good way of celebrating sort of end of personal pandemic time. Yeah, I'll, I'll consider go go to some bars and. You could get you some cider or some shit. I don't know. Do you have good ciders <laughs> up here, up there? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of apples. Are there? Yeah, th- uh, New apples York are a midwestern are like the thing for cider. Oh, probably. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's all sorts of literal apple orchards. Um. There's mead. There's some some really good meaderies around here. No, it's not vegan. It's honey. Honey is. Oh, yeah. It's the bees, man. You got to respect the bees. Respect the bees, especially these days. Mm -hmm. Well, there are some really good vegan eating places here. Like there's a lot of vegan friendly places and places that sell exclusively vegan stuff um, that is really tasty. Like that Rachel and I aren't vegan, but we like it. So, all right, dude. And I mean, because I don't I mean, you might know this already, but like Ann Arbor is sometimes compared to like San Francisco or the Bay Area um, in terms of it's like liberal streak. Uh, so oh. there's very much like a, a like a left leaning. There's a lot of like accommodations for, uh, uh, you know, people who. I don't really know how to how to describe that, but, you know, like trans or bi or, you know, vegan uh, vegetarian people who are different that, people who that, are that yeah who are living hate. who are living their truth yeah that other that that normies might hate yeah because they don't understand them yeah okay all right yeah oh i gotta open up trello and stop looking at this racist thing i had no idea the dutch man that makes me sad i thought it was supposed to be an honoring thing that the dutch came up with the dutch angle but no apparently it has to do with like Calling an entire group of people whores and drunkards and stuff, which is like, I, I guess I don't normally think of the Dutch as somebody who is like a people under fire. But uh, 
you know, hey, leave it to the English, you know? Yep. It's just the roast beef. Uh-huh. Oh man, you make me want roast beef. Dude, I had fuck. I had Rachel and I played a drinking game last night. Um uh we we had a drink called a volcano bowl. What? Uh yeah, it serves two to four. Um that tells you everything you need to know. Uh <laughs> um Jeez. it's better than the serves three to six drink or four to six drink that uh we were considering making uh that she wouldn't let me because she's a good person. It was pretty good. But uh holy shit, dude. Um I was drunk as a skunk until like two AM. I was considering going to Taco Bell, which would be the first time I've gotten like real ass fast food since January. And I legitimately I had that decision. I was like, all right, if I get sober before I fall asleep, then I'm going to go to Taco Bell because damn my diet, like damn my dieting and losing weight. I'm going to do this. And then I fell asleep at like 1230 waiting for the alcohol to wear off. I was like, going to play. I think I fell asleep playing Hearthstone (laughs) And, and like woke up to having like a defeat screen. And I was like, right, because I was just like lazing on the couch. And then, uh, yeah, it was 2 a.m. And I was like, man, I'm not even hungry. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to go anywhere. I'm still drunk. I want to go to bed. <laughs> Lay down three hours later. Of course, Finn is uh, screaming his head off for us to get up. Um, so, you know, joined him out in the living room and slept out there until like eight o'clock and shit. So I feel great. I feel real great. Jesus, I no wonder the breadsticks yeah. came out. Well, I mean, you know, when you I don't know about you, but like alcohol, uh, too much alcohol in my system is like just like does weird shit to my guts. I just um, I just feel a little bit like ill. Like, you know, that just like f- yeah. general feeling of just like you're just a little bit like, nauseated. Ooh. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, that's what I when I get too. The day my hangovers are just that I'm like, oh, fuck, I just feel like, you know, I just. Yeah. Just want to eat like a little I'm like really hungry, but I don't feel like I can actually eat anything because I'm just like nauseated. Mm hmm. Brand is good for that. Um, No, I mean, I think uh, it's kind of funny. I uh, for me, it's not. It's not the the. Shit, what am I trying to say here? I'm definitely going to go to Taco Bell for lunch, by the way. <laughs> I've decided, I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Um, no, the, uh, uh, it's it's because, you know, I think I've said this before, but I don't get hangovers, like, basically ever. Uh, I can get alcohol poisoning, which is bad. That is bad. And thankfully, I, that hasn't happened in a while. Like, I haven't gotten so drunk that I've needed to throw up in in maybe years at this point like a couple of years which is good i finally actually started to respect my boundaries and was like there's no situation where i need to have more than three drinks in a night three drinks in a, beyond three drinks in a, a night is like such a level of excess that it's just like there's no point to it even you know because yeah, at that point you're you're already getting the best effects of the alcohol you know yeah exactly drinks. like uh, yeah, and and typically it doesn't even take three drinks. It's typically I'm I think I'm even after hard, basically years of hard drinking to catch up to everyone else. Um, I'm still relatively a lightweight, you know, like a, a two drinks 
definitely gets me where I need to go. And then I don't feel like if I have a third drink, it's because I had my first two drinks because we were having a good time at like, you know, 7 p.m. And then like it now it's like nine and I'm starting to feel the effects wear off and I want to keep things going. Um, And then I have a third drink and then probably that's it, um, because anything more than that feels unnecessary. So I think last night was kind of one of those situations because we had a like this volcano bowl. uh, (laughs) It's ridiculously named. Um, We had this volcano bowl, uh, but I had been drinking sake earlier because I had this uh, bottle of sake that I have had for two and a half years that every winter when it when winter comes around i forget that it's in the back of the fridge but the whole point is to drink it hot you know because it's like i don't know if you've had sake hot hot sake sake. it's good oh dude during the winter when it's like really cold out so fucking good i I would Um, break really pleasing i would break out the hot sake and like warm it in like a hot water bath Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah yeah, in the winter in florida when it's like you know 50 degrees (laughs) outside and it's like oh Jeez. Well, like, a, you know, like a brisk spring spring day. Sure. Yeah, that's exactly like, you know, um, you know, when it's like nice and I don't know, 45 or so like that's a perfectly good time to have a uh, hot sake. But like, yeah, coming in from the cold, if, if you you know, if you're out or whatever and then you have it, it's like, oh, it's so nice. Um, and so I had, I think, two little pictures of it, which are they're like, you know, this big or so. But it was like the equivalent of like maybe probably like two glasses of wine. I had that like over dinner and then within the next hour we started our drinking game. So it was definitely like all told we both of us only had three ounces of liquor each. So like that's not that much. It's like a drink and a half. Yeah, but definitely got me over that three drink. Level (laughs) and I could feel it and I was like, yeah, I was drunk until I mean, I dude, even this morning, like like I, the, I, I don't know how much of it was grogginess or drunkenness, but like, you know, four or five a.m. when, you know, Finn is waking us up and stuff, I am like definitely still feeling it. Yeah, so I remember uh, the, the, one of the few times I've woken up drunk is when I, I, I got up, I went to my door to like, you know, get something to eat. And this was back when I was in college in, in this apartment. And I, and I grabbed the door handle, I open it, and I just slammed the door in my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, dude. Ouch. Yeah, and then I just, I, I literally, I take a step back and fall backwards into my bed, and I don't get up for another five minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh my god carter i can totally picture that yeah. also specifically picturing you doing that is like i don't know very funny it's a very funny image yeah it was it was pretty great i was just like Woof. yeah i'm not I'm, this means i'm not supposed to get up <laughs> yeah i hope you didn't hurt yourself too bad no no I didn't, not too bad was it the nose did the nose no get i think it was like brow Good, because you could probably could have bruised your nose bone if uh, you'd, you'd slammed it that hard in your face. No, I just like banged you know? my fucking eyebrow on it. I, I just wanted to report, Frank, to the high today in South Carolina. Beautiful South Carolina. Famously, you know, I think it's surprisingly hot. Columbia, 84 degrees. 
Is that that's not high. Not hot. Eighty four degrees is hot. Yeah, that's hot. Yeah, that's very warm for, for uh, springtime. March. Yeah, that's warm. But it'll go back down. The high for Thursday is fifty five. Mm hmm. There you go.